Welcome back to the Nitty Gritty of Real Estate podcast. Today, we're talking about more history in Tucson and its real estate. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us yet again on another podcast here with the Nitty Gritty of Real Estate podcast. I'm joined by Heather Oloboni, and I am Joe Brown. We're the uh, self-proclaimed local experts on Tucson. We're uh, the nitty-gritty of real estate podcast lifestyle experts. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I like that. I'll take that. Um, so in this one, we want to get into sort of how we came into existence and how local neighborhoods came into existence. Um, the, There's a plethora of history when it comes to Tucson and where is really the center of Tucson? <laughs> sure. And where we came from and why we have such great architecture here and such great, awesome, weird buildings. <laughs> yes, yes. While Phoenix is the industrial epicenter, we're the cultural epicenter. For sure. You know, like 100%. There, there's just so much more history here. And we're just a cooler city in general. I'm 100% biased with that, <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, we're technically cooler, too, if you think about it. They're like, what, 1,220 degrees right now, and we're only like 1,000? Yeah, so figuratively and literally cooler <laughs> than Phoenix. <laughs> so anyway, let's get into this. We have now starting at the beginning yeah. Right. So we, I mean, we talked a little bit about the history of Tucson in our first podcast, Lifestyle Podcast, where we kind of touched on quite a few things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot. We had to make it a two-parter. This one may be a two-parter. <laughs> I'll be interrupting if it is yeah. a little later. <laughs> <laughs> Tucson actually is a we're, – we're a plethora of everything. But So, I mean, obviously we started 17, 1776. Um, we were a Spanish presidio, walled fortress – um, and essentially, we opened up onto the El Camino de la Misión, which was mm -hmm. the highway between the San Javier and the San Agustin missions. Yep. Um, so that's sort of where we started. And then at that time, the Santa Cruz River, which isn't really a river. I mean, it's a river. It exists still. It's just what we call washes here. Yeah. It's a non-flowing river. A river here is different. Than a river back anywhere e else, anywhere, literally anywhere, <laughs> anywhere else. Anywhere else, yeah. A dry riverbed is a river here in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it provided a daily abundant water resource. It irrigated the field, so um, it's what created um, irrigation agriculture here, um, strictly from those rivers that were flowing, which has been utilized as a space to grow food for over 4,000 years, yeah. which is the longest uh, agriculture that's happened in the United States. Yeah. And then when you think about it, like it's what plants, what fruits, what what do you think grows here? You yeah. can grow everything here. Yeah. Um, they grew things like squash, grain, beans, peas, chilies, which are still super prevalent here, mm -hmm. pumpkins, which are naturally occurring here in Tucson, which I found out, I think, a year or two after I moved here. I, like, ran across someone's, like, random pumpkin patch outside their house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, watermelons, pears, pomegranates are huge here, and so are figs. Mm. Um, and, and that actually is currently Mission Gardens. So there yeah. is a nonprofit organization called Friends of Tucson Birthplace, um, and they teach and maintain that mission garden, which is the same garden that started when Tucson began. Wow. They essentially just redeveloped that same area. 
Um, so it's it's an ever growing cycle of gardening here. That's super cool. Yeah, That's... which which is why you were mentioning it's why UNESCO named us the city of gastronomy. Yeah, that was part and parcel because of the history of ag- agriculture and the sort of confluence of different cultures bringing in their foods. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, a lot of Chinese people who came here to, who actually helped build uh, some of the railroads Mm -hmm. that were going on around here. And believe it or not, at one time, the Santa Cruz River was able to hold boats. So we would bring, not huge boats, obviously, but... Little little paddle boats, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Enough to bring up building materials. Kayaks. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was that was uh, part of the reason why we have the UNESCO Gastronomy Award that Which we won. Which we will be talking about uh, food in a future podcast. So if you are a foodie, yes, wait for that to come because it'll be delicious. It'll be delicious. We might bring some Sonoran dogs so you, Ooh. if you're watching us, you can see what a Sonoran dog looks like. Yep, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Incorporated City. We are the oldest Incorporated City in Arizona. Not were. We are. Yeah. We are the oldest. We were incorporated in 1877. Um, well, that we were the capital. At one point, we were. At one point, I know we were the capital. Of and then it, then it went to Prescott, I think, and then Phoenix, and then where Phoenix. it ended, yeah. ended up. And we were, we were the decision makers here, and a lot of the legalities were done in Phoenix right. still. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about that in that first podcast. Yeah. Um, but few of our buildings, even though we were incorporated, very few of our buildings were finished in plaster. The city was still unpaved. We had unlit streets. We had zero electricity, which can you imagine doing that now? Yeah. Uh, no sidewalks, no public works, but they all followed pretty quickly after. Yeah. So That makes sense. And um, so I, I know th- that with that growth, we – the Pima County Board of Supervisors also sort of made a, a bit of a decree on what we name our streets, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, so uh, they actually required the town to rename our Spanish language streets to honor the prominent citizens killed by Indians. So I'm pretty sure is why we have streets like Ina, which is it's not yeah, Ina, right. it's Ina. <laughs> Technically, it is Technically Ina. Technically, Ina. Yep. Though it is it is quite entertaining when and you Houghton. Uh, and Houghton or H- Houghton Houghton <laughs> Houghton. A lot of our streets that get butchered by Google Maps and Siri, who cannot say our street names for the life of them, even if they tried. Right. We call one Plumber, and it's actually Plumer. Plumer. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So um, and and we also too have a lot of Hispanic streets mm-hmm. that uh you know go by Calle which is ostensibly street. Yeah. Um, and, and so you'll see a lot of Spanish mm-hmm. names of our streets, right? And, and my limited knowledge of cities, I've never heard of Stravenue yeah. Yeah. until I moved to Tucson. Yeah. The, the combination of street and avenue and yeah. others and how our streets are one side of the street is named one thing and when you cross a major intersection and it's something else completely different, that was also a new concept to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So calles and caminos are are pretty common. Very around common here. here. Yeah, and and then our weird uh, portmanteau of Stravenu. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the first thing that happened though, once they started, yeah. is the town enacted a homesteading plan because that's the way to go. Homesteading yeah. plan. Yeah. 
In that home setting plan, village lots were distributed for free. So you got you got land for free. If you were here in the early 1800s or mid to late 1800s, uh, you got a free parcel of land. All you had to do as the homeowner is you had to spend $100, which was probably like $100,000 now <laughs> yeah. um, to improve that lot. And then you had to live on the property for six months. That's it. That's all you had to do to qualify for a free plot of land. Where do I sign up? I know. <laughs> I'm ready. I don't think that exists right now. Put some type of property <laughs> on it. Live on it for six months. The land is yours, free and clear. Yeah. Yeah. What a concept. I know. I mean, it, it did spur a lot of people coming here to mm-hmm. to obtain land and to uh, grow food and to to – Basically populate this area. Yeah. And then we, because uh, we had, you talked about a little bit about the railroad coming. We'll, we'll bypass a lot of the, the viciousness that happened um, in between the railroad coming and what we did in the 1800s. So we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. jump a good, <laughs> a good portion of a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, the, the frontier was not <laughs> peaceful. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's very active and bloody. Um, but then came the University of Arizona. Um, it was a land grant college, and it was organized on, or sorry, it was built on overgrazed ranch land between Tucson and Fort Lowell, yeah. which is a fort, yep. not just a street as, <laughs> right. as we all think of it here. Yeah. It was an army site that was built to help protect settlers and travelers from the Apache attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the pieces that you can still see from Old Fort Lowell is very. They're just kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so if you've never seen them and you've never gone past it, they're kind of some of the most. I don't know. Like they're just they're, they make you authentic. speechless when you look at them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a weird story from uh, personal experience. Uh, I went to Little League there, mm-hmm. and I remember finding shards of pottery always, and they, like they were painted on, and you could just dig them right. You'd see them right there laying on the ground, mm-hmm. and then they didn't have it protected yet, but they still had the adobe walls uh, still standing from the fort, mm-hmm. and they they are now covered and fenced in, which is a good thing because people were starting to vandalize them. But mm-hmm. when I was a kid in my lifetime, like, you could go up and just, you know, see all this really cool history. Well, I, that's so cool. Like, the only place that I know you can see this much history is when you go to Virginia and you go to like the Yorktown battlefields and stuff like that, where you can see some of the just the the antique stuff that's out there. It's all over Tucson, yeah. and a lot of people just don't realize that you drive past it every single day, and you're like, "Oh, that's what that was." Yep. If you keep an eye out while hiking, you you'll find like pictographs and you know pottery shards. You'll find arrowheads. You just have to keep an eye out for them. Yeah. You know. So after our squirrel moment, we're gonna yeah. come back a little Sorry. bit too. Bring it back, Sorry. bring it back. <laughs> this is this is where this is what the lifestyle podcasts are gonna be. They're gonna be us <laughs> just kind of squirreling off because Tucson is just so unique and cool. And yeah. from someone who grew up here and someone who moved here, just to be able to see the to be in awe of the city. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Um, so this big thing that um, exists and has existed for a while is the Turquoise Trail. Hmm. Um, It is a two and a half mile loop through downtown Tucson. It highlights some structures and sites of historic interest. It's marked with a turquoise stripe on the sidewalk. Um, It begins at the Presidio Museum, which is um, located at the original Presidio um, 
San Agustin del Tucson, which was founded in 1777, and it goes two and a half miles in a big circle, and you get to hit all of these really cool historic sites that still exist. Hey everyone, we want to interrupt this episode to let you know that we are a Keller Williams Southern Arizona franchise. Author M. Feldman, um, who is an European immigrant who arrived in Tucson. That's, I think that's a great way for people who like visiting here to learn about the history mm-hmm. of here in a little more depth, um, especially within downtown itself. Mm-hmm. That is where Tucson started. Yeah. You know, so. it's, it's, uh, you were telling me, I, I didn't know kind of the exact area, mm-hmm. but Stone and Broadway, right? Is, is, is the original center of Tucson. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, uh, when you look at a map of us, it's definitely not the center now. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it's so funny because you, from somebody who came in, you're like, What's central, what's east, what's north? And you, you assume central being Park Place. Yeah. Park Place Mall because, or 5151, the, the biggest building in Tucson. Right. Like, uh, those are the, you would assume would be the central. That's not central, that's east. Yeah. <laughs> that's considered east because central Tucson is Stone and Broadway. Yeah. Um, and When you think downtown, you're like, oh, there's the center. Yeah. But not really. Really here. It's, yeah, more <laughs> central west. Yeah. Um, and it actually, um, was the geographic center stone and Broadway was actually the geographic center when we started. Okay. We have expanded so far East that it doesn't seem like the center anymore. Right. Right. But it, uh, but it's still considered central and we're on a grid system just like most, um, most European American cities that were built, their grid plans yeah. just makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, but we definitely went far, far east as much as possible. I mean, Rita Ranch is still considerably new, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, some of the stuff up off Old Spanish Trail, that kind of stuff. That's all still considerably right. new. Right. And um, that, that's more on the east side for those of you yeah. who are listening out of city. Yeah, Far East Tucson. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, because the development to the west was effectively blocked by the Tucson Mountains. Yeah. Um, we do also have some really, really distinct neighborhoods here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with some of the earliest neighborhoods because they're not named what they were originally named. Okay. So yeah. we have El Presidio, which mm-hmm. is still El Presidio. Mm-hmm. We have um, Barrio Historico. I'm going to probably butcher these Spanish names, so if you're Spanish... Please take this white girl's oh. approach to Spanish. Apologies um, from the gringos. Yes, absolutely. Um, or Barrio Libre. Yeah. Um, Armory Park, which is still Armory Park. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is Barrio Anita, which is named for an early settler. Um, and it's located between Granada Avenue and I-10. Mm. Um, okay, this one I'm really going to try not to butcher. Barrio Tiburon. Tiburon. Tiburon, or shark, as you shark. told me. Yep. Um, which is now known as the 4th Avenue Arts District, um, and it was designated in territorial times as the Red Light District, i.e. Shark. I get it now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. So, and then Barrio El Jardin, Mm -hmm. which was named after the um, early recreational site for Levin's Gardens. Um, Barrio El Hoyo is named for a lake, a lake, that was part of the gardens before the convention center was built. The term El Hoyo, um, which most know if you can speak Spanish, is pit or hole. Oh, yeah, oil. Oil. 
uh, is referred um, to this part of the city. Residents were um, mostly Mexican-American citizens or Mexican immigrants. That's why it was named for what it was named for um, back in the day. Yep. We don't agree with it now. Yep. But we can't. We can only grow and be better. We can't fix the past, unfortunately. Yeah, like any CCNRs that you read around here, uh, you can see definite redlining language 100%. and and uh, definitely not following any fair housing. Mm-mm. So, uh, so they, we are now up with the times for sure. <laughs> so we do good. what we can to fix past past wrongs. discretionary things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Barrio Santa Rosa, which was dating from the 1890s, and it's now listed as historic district on the National Register of Historic Places. Yeah, that, it, one of the nice things about these historic areas is that you you can get a tax break on your house. So yeah. if you if the neighborhood is not already uh, under that when you if you buy in that area, you can get you can ask for uh, tax relief because it is a historic yeah. place. And from personal experience, we actually updated a property that was in historic Jefferson Park. Mm-hmm. And the overlays and the rules and regs in regards to changing or updating <laughs> some of the stuff, we we did massive amounts of research to make sure that we were keeping as much of the historic uh-huh. look of the home as we could. Yeah. Because we want to keep that historic look here in Tucson. We, nobody really wants to change it because right. it was made for a reason the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, you'll get a lot of city pushback if you try to change too much. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, because we want to keep the the historic nature to that. We want to maintain that. Uh, so, and, and a lot of these, uh, maybe to the chagrin of many investors that want to maybe knock something down and and build mm-hmm. more spots. These are, are pretty much around the University of Arizona, mm-hmm. which, you know, are there's a lot of rentals around there. Yeah. Right? So it's it's difficult for investors to come in and be like, let's knock this down and build something else, mm-hmm. which is good for, you know, the, the historic upkeep, bad for the investor. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, there are actually a couple more we're going to talk about. I know that's a long list, but we're going to go. There's some other historical neighborhoods. And and the reason we're mentioning these is these historical neighborhoods. If you're here in Tucson and you've never driven through through some of these historical neighborhoods, do it. They're so cool. Yeah. There's some great architecture within them. And color. Yes. Because most of these don't have HOAs. Yep. So the houses are colored in in so many different ways, and they have so much character and love put into them that it's just – it's a, amazing to me. Yeah, you get a lot more of the eclectic feel for sure when you're mm-hmm. driving through there. Yeah. yeah. So we have Feldman, the Feldman's neighborhood. It's yeah. uh, north northwest of University. Um, it's named after Arthur F. Sorry, Arthur M. Feldman, um, who is an Eastern European immigrant who arrived in Tucson late 1800s. Um, the neighborhood streets Helen and Mabel are named for his daughters. Which are streets here. Which are streets here. Yep. Um, and uh, he owned a, pho- a, photo- a photography studio um, that I think is now known as the Arizona Tent Gallery. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. So. That's pretty cool. Um, Menlo Park, which yeah. is adjacent to Sentinel Peak. 
Um, That's I, a mountain also. A mountain. <laughs> famously known. Famously known as a mountain that gets uh, painted by freshmen every single year. Yep. A different color. Sometimes, I, I believe we had ASU come and paint it their colors one time. Yeah. So and I think it happens. That, and I think Our during, was it 9-11 or one of the historic, it was painted like uh, patriotic colors. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think so it might We are been. very much a military town, for yes. sure. Yes. Um, uh, Iron Horse, which is east of 4th Avenue and north of the railroad tracks, and it's named for its proximity to the railroad which was informally known by Iron Horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, West University, which is between the university and downtown. Dunbar Springs, which is west of the university. Pie Allen, which is uh, near and around Tucson High School. And it was named after John Brackett, or a.k.a. Pie Allen, who mm-hmm. was a local entrepreneur and the early mayor of Tucson. And then the infamous Sam Hughes, Yep. Which is across the street from the university, um, and it's named after the European-American uh, pioneer. And from what we know, or at least we know with real estate, um, a lot of what's in Sam Hughes are some very beautiful, nice homes. Yeah. And you can you wouldn't think, but there's m- potentially multi-million dollar homes in there. Yeah, exactly. It's some of the most poignant architectural residential architecture mm-hmm. examples I think that we have here in Tucson. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good idea to go visit and drive through that, walk through that. It's very mm-hmm. walk or bike friendly. And they're actually updating that. That's one of the newer updates that's happening um, through the planning. They're going to be doing some more expansion so it's easier to bike and walk through Yeah. Um, rather than just driving through. Yeah. Since we're such a, a widespread city it's it is difficult in places to walk mm-hmm. but i'm glad we are addressing that yeah absolutely um later on in this podcast we're going to talk about some of the we talked about architecture and well there's actually uh, a couple architects that we'll talk about and in, in special buildings that are here in um tucson so yeah, let's move east awesome. yeah so east tucson it's new it started in the 50s Between the 50s and the 70s, even more so now the farther east you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is – it was known at least back in the 50s and 70s as having mostly above average values according to the rest of the city because as money went east, that's kind of where they built. And so the money kind of sat there, which means the property values were a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah. We had so much land here that, you know, acre parcels were easy to come by. And so that pushed us further and further and further out as we grew. Yeah. So. And now you'll find a lot more luxury up in the mountains. Yeah. You'll still see it a little bit on the east side, depending on how far out on the east side you are, um, essentially where it's quiet and nice. And that's kind of where the east side, where the east side goes. But um, then you also have South Tucson. Yep. So South Tucson, which this is something I learned by just doing the research, a little more research for this podcast, I did not realize South Tucson was incorporated by itself. Yeah, yeah. It has its own mayor and city council, and it's one square mile. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, it is known for its colorful dynamic history, um, and it's incorporated uh, – it was incorporated in, the, in 1936 and then reincorporated again in 1940, though. I do know that when you're driving um, – is it called Five Points? Uh, yeah. They're redoing yes. Five Points, which is downtown that leads you into South Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, great restaurants. Great restaurants. But, there. like, again, 
there's something with me in color. Like yeah. when you drive down a street and you can see something that is pink or yellow or bright blue and it just stands out, it makes you happy. Like yeah. that color itself makes you happy versus when you drive through a drab HOA where all the houses are the same color. <laughs> Stick and stucco. Uh, yeah. Desert, desert muted colors. Um, yeah. It just, it gives you just a different feeling. And, and that's one of the things I love about South Tucson, even in central Tucson, yeah. some of the beautiful colors that you can get. I mean, we have just, obs- they took the opportunity to absorb natural desert colors and said, we're going to put it on the house and we're going to make the house feel like it should be here mm-hmm. instead of the house is, is kind of just placed. Right. And they did the same thing on the west side when you go on the other side of the mountains through the Saguaro Park, um, Saguaro National Park West. National Park, Saguaro National Park West. Yep. Out where Old Tucson Studios is, just being able to still absorb some of the old western stuff is yeah. just great. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And um, that I think a lot of our our architecture, not new architecture, some of the older architecture mirrors that historic sort of influence, Mm -hmm. especially the Spanish influence that has been maintained here, I think, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's even been New York Times articles talking about our architecture here. And one of our shining people who, uh, if you have a chance to buy one of his houses, they tend to be on the higher end and are pretty amazing to walk through. I mean, uh, so... So okay, so so we're talking presenting. about <laughs> presenting. Uh, so we're we're actually talking about Josias Jostler. Yeah. Um, he was one of the well-known, prominent um, architects here in town. Um, his family was here, and um, I've had the pleasure on multiple occasions to walk through Jostler properties. And he did a lot of commercial. He did a lot of residentials, and he did a lot of the residentials in some of the. Um, more historic neighborhoods and they're just the way he merged indoor outdoor Mm -hmm. in exposed beams and made you kind of feel like everything was one was just it's it's hard to replicate now it really is like it it feels so fake when you walk into a house with exposed beams but when you walk into a jostler house with exposed beams because he had at least in the the two houses that I walked through, both of them had gorgeous atriums. So there was an outdoor aspect indoors. Yep. Was just it's breathtaking. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. And uh, he was he was Swiss born and lived in Spain for a while, and where he picked up a lot of these influences mm-hmm. uh, to to build some of these homes. And you see examples at least on the residential side. Catalina Vista, he's got a few in um he's got a few in Monte Vista, Feldman's, yep. Sam Hughes. Um, and but- if you like mid century modern too, like this these are so highly sought after homes. Mm-hmm. They're they're pretty incredible. And then up in up into Catalina Foothills as well. Yes, and Catalina yeah. Foothills as well. But the biggest thing is if you buy a Jostler home most of them were original owners. Yeah. So they've not been updated much. Yeah. And I have yet to be inside a Jostler that has been updated ever. Yeah. So most of them were original owners. So yep. um, 
So that's a, you know, if you get the chance to own a Jostler house and find a way to update it with also being able to maintain that architecture. Yes. That would be the dream. That's a dream of mine, I have to say. Absolutely. Um, but so of all of Jostler's works, he's had a ton of works. Um, he has 20, about, let's say, 23 plus mm -hmm. um, that are part of the National Register for the Architect, uh, National Register they are part of the National Register of Historic Places. Um, and a couple of the, the big ones that I want to mention is the El Conquistador Water Tower or the 11 Arches, which yep. you were mentioning uh, is part a big part of a neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Here. 11 Arches is it's the name of the neighborhood. And it's I believe it's only 11 homes. So. And it's gated and it's a pretty cool place. Mm -hmm. The last work that Jostler did was the Arizona History Museum, but there were some other buildings that he did that aren't on the registrar, but are still gorgeous in their own right, like um, St. Phillips in the Hills Episcopal Church, which mm. is on the corner of River and Campbell. Um, and then he also did the Hacienda del Sol reconstruction, which was what in the past? Yeah. You were telling me? Yeah. So it was a, a all-girls school at one time. And then a after that, they stopped doing the, the all-girls school. It, a private uh, person bought it. And apparently Jostler did the renovation, the updates to it. And it is definitely, ha it has that Spanish feel to it for sure. Yeah, when you walk into like the restaurant or when you go to check in, it's just like you walk through this like amazing garden. Again, he was all yeah. about meshing, building with outside so that it didn't yep. feel like you were changing where you were. You were just indoor, outdoor. Yeah. And it was just, he does that so well. Yeah, highly recommend that if you're coming here to stay at least go to visit it and have uh, a margarita or dinner or something. And then go to the pool because it yeah. overlooks the mountains. And yeah. I was there one day when it stormed and it was the coolest view. Yeah, it's it really is a gorgeous place to, to go and visit. Uh, my wife and I were wedding photographers and shot a couple of weddings there. And it, it's just there's so many places within that to mm -hmm. photograph. It it's It's beautiful. Go see it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, so last but not least, we're going to talk about um, historic Fort Lowell. Yeah. Come um, in, bring it back. Bring it back. We're bring bringing it back. it back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the history on it. So um, near the intersection of Craycroft and Fort Lowell, Roll, Fort Lowell Roads, that yeah. is a tongue twister if <laughs> I've ever heard one, um, yes. are the remnants of historic Fort Lowell. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're here in Tucson, again, go past it. Um, this area has become one of Tucson's iconic neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, in 1891, the fort was abandoned and much of the interior was stripped of their useful components and it quickly fell into ruin. Yep. In 1900, three of the officer buildings were purchased and used as a sanitarium. Um, the sanitarium was so then sold to Harvey Adkins in 1928, and the Bolsius family, Pete, Nan, and Charles Bolsius, purchased and renovated the surviving adobe buildings in the fort, transforming them into spectacular artistic southwestern architectural examples. Um, their woodwork, the plaster treatment, the, the sense of proportion, it drew from their Dutch and uh, New Mexican experience. So... Um, this definitely 
um, is just gorgeous in itself. Yeah. Um, then there, we ha we have just so many places here that if you're looking for antiqued, just we have it, and it's in the most unique spot spots you didn't think <laughs> to even look. Yeah, I I think that area. I mean, I, I grew up near there. And within Fort Lowell, some of the neighborhoods and houses in there, you're just like, how is this, how does this exist here? Mm -hmm. You know, even the, those officers quarters are still standing. Uh, quite a few of the walls are still standing. They're preserved so well. The city took the, those over and, and they're protected now. Um, however, the surrounding areas that were revitalized by the uh, Bolsias family, those are still there and you can purchase Another place I recommend going through and, and driving if you visit here, go check out Fort Lowell Road. And there's old Fort Lowell Road as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of moved around. We have Camp Lowell, too, that uh, after they extended Fort Lowell, we had some renovations with it, and now it connected a few more streets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, stop by and visit those for sure. There's even, like, a little uh, in actual Fort Lowell Park, there's a little building that goes over the history of this. Yeah. So highly recommend checking that out. Hey, <laughs> so we have covered a good chunk of Tucson real estate. Yeah. Um, we know this has been one of the longer podcasts, but those of you who like history, um, this will be a good one for you. But history our, nerds. Our next lifestyle podcast, we're going to talk about food. Yeah. I'm a foodie. I may not look yeah. like a foodie, but I am a foodie. I look like a foodie, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make up that that um, portion. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, gastronomy here. And not just that. We just had Iron Chef Tucson just yeah. happened. So we could talk a little bit about that and some of the um, absolutely amazing chefs. Yeah. That have been here or homegrown out of Tucson. Yep. We'll talk a little bit about them too. So yeah. join us on our next uh, podcast here with the Nitty Gritty of Real Estate. Beautiful. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for listening and watching the Nitty Gritty of Real Estate podcast here with the Tom J. Krieger team of Keller Williams, Southern Arizona. If you are interested in buying a home, selling a home, or even investing in real estate, we have 5,000 agents across the country that we can connect you to. If you need any free resources, feel free to check out our website at www.thetjkteam.com. We hope you have a great day.